If you're like me, you might hear estate planning and go, ugh, gross. You might think to yourself, I'm not sure why I'd bother with that. Estate planning is only for the uber rich. Tallgrass begs to differ. Tallgrass founding attorneys Laurel and Riley think everyone should have an estate plan. They know estate planning seems untouchable to a lot of folks, like something you have to do inside a stuffy law firm of Stuffy McLawyer Pants Esquire. But I promise you, Tallgrass is nothing like that. For one, they work out of their home so their clients can feel at home. They obsess, because they're nerds, over making clients feel like they belong and are supposed to be there. Also, their kids might make an appearance. They will take time to answer all of your questions, even the uncomfortable ones. They will work relentlessly to make sure your plan is exactly what you need to feel secure and at peace. So if you've been putting off planning for what's going to happen after you've gone, it's time for you to give Tallgrass a call at 918-770-8940 and start your plan today. Or visit their website at tallgrassestateplanning.com and schedule a free initial consultation. For free! It's right there on the website. And of course, there's more, because this is a podcast ad. If you tell them you're a Pod for Good listener, they're going to take 25% off their service fees. Just tell them Pod for Good sent you. Stop thinking estate planning isn't for you and give Tallgrass a call today at 918-770-8940 or on their website, which I'm not going to read out to you again. It's in our show notes. Thank you, Tallgrass. Welcome to another episode of Pod for Good, a podcast where we learn from those doing good in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and the world, why they care, what Chris and I can do, but most importantly, what you, the listeners, can do. Pod for Good is produced and edited by Ramp 9 Productions. It can be found anywhere you get your podcasts. I am, as always, your chief, chief philanthropod, Jesse Ulrich. I'm your vice admiral philanthropod and class clown of justice, Chris Miller. I'm, I like that. Maybe we'll just switch off who does it each time. <laughs> we are very excited to have Chris Davis, the co-founder of the Tulsa Creative Engine, on the podcast today. We talked to Chris about whether Jesse is an artist. I think he probably is. Uh, why Tulsa needs to support entrepreneurship in the creative space and the Spark Summit coming in September. Very excited about that. I'm very excited about this conversation. Enjoy. We are very excited to have Chris Davis, the co-founder and executive director of the Tulsa Creative Engine on the podcast today. Chris, how you doing? Doing good, man. Nice to nice to be here with you guys. Chris Miller, my co-host, we should discuss how many times when I say Chris, you want to also answer in sort of a jokey fashion. Uh, so we yeah. just keep that to, you know, maybe four or five times per mm, this episode. Okay. Yeah. So Chris Davis, I'm going to say your full name just because it's going to come. Otherwise, it's going to confuse everyone. <laughs> People call me CD. You could, you could, CD, you could yeah. call me CD. Yeah. What, what was Dr. View's nickname for you? Was it No Skips? That was actually Ali Shaw, okay. uh, the, the, the local legend. She, it, well, it originated from people calling me CD, and then she was like, CD, No Skips. And then, uh, okay. You know, that's, that's kind of caught on a little bit. All right, all right. All right. We'll, go, we'll go with CD. So, CD, I have questions about the Super Bowl halftime show, where I, for the first time truly, I felt old. Mm-hmm. I was like, you though. This show's being catered directly to me. Like, yeah. I am now the consumer with money, and even though I don't have money, but people like me. And I don't know, it felt, I felt very uncomfortable about it. Well, it's funny that, like, the, 
a lot of those artists, like when they were first coming out, like 20 or 30 years ago, were like extremely controversial. And now that's like the safe pick for the halftime show. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. We'll get, we'll get Dr. Dre and Eminem. Like I remember right. when I was in, in middle school, like Eminem was like the most controversial person. And now, you know, that, that was like, well, let, let's, let's, let's go the safe route here. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and also yeah. I got to, I feel like it would probably be hard to sing while hanging upside down, right? Yeah. Or rapping. I mean, and why? So why? Why? Why would they do that to Fifty Cent? Why would well, they he, put? He did that in the video. Like apparently, that's what uh, people people thought he was known yeah. for. So that's why they did that. I didn't remember that because I don't remember the video that much. Listen, he's a little bit older than he was when he made that. Yeah, video. I mean, did you see that tank top? Like they had to spray paint that thing on. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and like I like when the. Kendrick Lamar part came up. I was like, I don't know this artist really at all. I was like, this must be for the younger people. I mean, not that much. I mean, you don't know Kendrick, Kendrick Lamar, Jesse? I know, I mean, Kendrick I know Lamar's him. been around I, for a while, too. I, listen, I know him, but I'm like not super familiar with his with his work. Like, I know yeah. he is an artist. He is a rapper. I know those things. But like, I couldn't like instantly pick out the song, right? Like, like I could with mm-hmm. Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg, which, honestly, I lost my bet of over-unders of bleeps they would have to do. They, they really just took care of that ahead of time and just reworked all of their songs. I don't know if you remember, but when when even fairly early on when those came out, like if they were going to be performing on SNL or something like that, they always had a like a doctored version of them. Yeah, yeah. I just... remember Ice Cube had one where it, his his reworked version was he would say because cigarette smoke is bad for your health, and and it, instead of uh, I don't even remember the original lyrics, but every song <laughs> had a doctored version. So that they wouldn't have to bleep out any yeah. of the lyrics. Yeah, I just figured they would just, you know, just bleep them. And uh, <laughs> But uh, honestly, I ca- it's kind of weird that it happened while there's still sun out. I feel like they should either, if they're going to have games on the West Coast, like start them later. Because like it, feels, it felt weird to see a concert in the daytime, like a Super Bowl <laughs> halftime show. Like there were probably lights and things and those houses that probably looked cooler at night. That's all I'm saying. But, uh, that's good feedback, Jesse. I, I yeah. think you should you should send a note in. Listen, yeah, mm-hmm. Listen, yeah. <laughs> On the list of things NBC has done wrong this past couple of weeks, uh, with their like going back and forth between the Olympics and the Super Bowl with the same guy, Mike Trico, which is like doing double duty that day. It's like give someone else some talking time anytime. Anyway, is that no small talk? That's <laughs> <laughs> great. That's great. Jesse. <laughs> wow. I'm feeling feisty today. I know, right? Although I did, I didn't realize that Dr. Dre could play the piano. So that, I thought that uh-huh. was cool that he jumped on there and started playing piano. I, I've noticed a thing where most like producer types can play the piano. Like it's just like the thing they learned either before they got into music or because they got into music where like the piano is just a good way of the basis to start from. I mean, Chris CD, you probably know this more than I would, but that, that feels thing that happens a lot. Oh, totally. Like in hip hop, especially like the producer, they're fully making the beat. So if the beat's built around, you know, a piano chord progression or whatever, a lot of times that does start with like them playing the keyboard in the studio and kind of like turning that into a beat. So I didn't specifically know that Dre played the piano, but it's it's not surprising. A lot of a lot of producers are are instrumentalists as well. Did did anyone notice that like the white paneling on the top was made to look like a massive like soundboard? And it looked like Dre was actually doing things on it at one point. I'm like, he's yeah, obviously not doing things on it, but I, I like he felt comfortable just having like a big sound, fake soundboard thing going on, which I thought was cool. As a soundboard person myself, I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. soundboards. So, so like Dr. Dre, you're also an artist. That's what you're saying? Yeah, 
<laughs> no, I can't play the piano. I feel like you have to at least play the piano to be an artist. Or, or paint. I don't know. You have to do like some sort of artistic thing well. Like I don't, I don't play an instrument. I mm. don't draw or paint well. Jesse, I would say your, I would, I would say your podcast is your art, right? Yeah, I, a lot listen, for good. You create, you guys created this. That's, that's art. Let, let's get into this. Okay. Okay. What is artistic about this? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess I, I mean I view podcasts as a, I guess there's a technical side to it and a, a creative. Uh, a creative there's, there's side a creative to it. aspect to it. Yeah, and I, I know that we all down downplay our own creative parts. So, but so, CD, you tell me, like, what is artistic about a podcast? I'm, I'm, I, I need to know this for myself. Well, I would say it's it's inherently creative. You took something from nothing. Like there was something that didn't exist, and you said this thing should exist, and you had a vision for it. Obviously, I don't know like the the whole story behind you guys coming up with the podcast, but. You made up a name for it. You developed the concept. You listened to other podcasts and kind of got inspiration, right? And then you said, no, this is what my podcast is going to be. I'm going to put this out into the world, right? So I would say that, you know, uh, uh, you know, art or creating something is like anytime you're taking something that doesn't exist and putting it into the world, like that's a creative process. Whether you want to consider it, you know, purely art or not is, is maybe up for debate, but uh, you're certainly uh, creative. That's interesting. I just, you know, it's when you learn a lot about a particular thing, it loses the artistic, at least to me, it loses some of the, the artistic mystery of a thing when you learn how to do something creative like this, whether it's audio editing or video editing. Once you learn how something is done, it, it can't wow you anymore. It becomes like a process. And I guess that's where I am now, where I don't view it as, I don't view it artistically anymore. I view it as sort of a process that goes from A to B to C. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think things can evolve, but I imagine like, you know, musical artists would tell you the same thing. Like if a, if a band put out a few like really great albums, they were like really in that creative flow and then they catch fire and now they're just like churning out songs for like, you know, mainstream charts or whatever. Like I'm sure that a lot of artists feel like eventually it's easy to kind of like lose touch with like the why you started in the first place. But, mm -hmm. but I would say just like on a purely creative form, like, you know, you created a podcast and that's, that's enough for me to consider you an artist in that sense. Well, CD, thank you for joining us today. No, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it makes a lot of sense because if you think about it, what people consider art is constantly evolving. You know, even think of music. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that EDM, most people wouldn't have considered music or artistic at all. They just thought it was, oh, some DJ making noise. So sim similar to, to hip hop as that evolved. So... There's nothing to say that podcasts aren't further evolution of artistic expression. I mean, no, I, I mean that, yeah, that, that's for sure. I mean, especially like there's like storytelling podcasts where like they're literally building a narrative or comedy podcast. I mean, there's certainly like a lot of podcasts that like are overtly like being art, but I would, I would go ahead and, and put pod for good in that category too. But I admittedly have a pretty broad definition of, of creativity and, and, uh, and art, but. Yeah, you meet my standards. So I'm I'm, I'm, I'm going to quote that first part of what you said in a yeah. thing like "pot for good is art." Chris Davis, not the second part. So okay, I feel like this is a good entry point to the to the Tulsa Creative Engine, which by its name makes me feel like it is a a place where creatives get together to then build towards more creative things. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I would say in general, Tulsa Creative Engine is really just about 
how do we provide all of the resources that artists in Tulsa need to be successful? What are those things and how can we make sure that the artists in our community are getting to those resources, right? So, you know, I think that the kind of like starting point for Tulsa Creative Engine is this idea that artists are entrepreneurs, right? Even if you're, you know, if you're a singer or in a band or rapping or whatever it is that you do, like you're starting a business. That business might be your namesake. That business might be like creating albums, creating merchandise around your albums, going on tour. But like that is entrepreneurship, you know? And so the way that we look at art entrepreneurship is like, okay, there's certain resources that everyone in like the entrepreneurship space, what I would say, like the traditional entrepreneurship space, we know that like entrepreneurs need these things, right? They need physical space to gather. They need a network of connections. They need financial resources and they need mentors, right? So if you're looking at just traditional entrepreneurship, anyone involved in that space agrees that like those four things, like for any entrepreneur to be successful, we have to have those things. That's why we have, you know, 36 degrees north. And that's why we have, you know, accelerator programs and, you know, networks and, and you know, pitch competitions where you can earn money just to launch your business, right? So it's a well accepted idea in entrepreneurship that we need all of those things for an entrepreneurship, for an entrepreneur to really have a shot at being successful. What Tulsa Creative Engine is doing is applying that same model to the work of artists and musicians and saying, what does that look like in, in terms of like art and music? How do we provide physical space, mentorships, financial support, uh, and network of connections to artists? And then, you know, how can that lead to, you know, really cultural development and economic development in our city and state? I, I think that's great because I always felt when I realized I was an entrepreneur with my company, it made me realize that like, since I'm not like, None of the business entrepreneurship like catchphrases and keywords apply to my business. Like, and so I I feel left out in sort of the entrepreneurship model that already existed here. Like I wasn't making a IT type product. I wasn't selling to other businesses. Like I was just doing a, I was doing a thing. And so I the resources never really applied to me in the same way. And so like in, in the sense, like I fit more in the, the creative engine space and I do the sort of entrepreneurship innovation space, I guess, is be the, mm -hmm. the multiple layers. Well, I, think like, I think the key word for like most entrepreneurship is like, how do you scale, right? Like how, how do you, you've got something good going and like, how do you make that big? And like, obviously that's a big reason for emphasis on tech entrepreneurship, right? Because if you make a great app or technology technology platform and that takes off, like that scales super quickly. So Something like, you know, a podcast business is like certainly an entrepreneurial idea, but you are the host and, you know, that means that your business is really tied to you and Chris and the work you guys are putting in to make it. So I think when it comes to like an investor looking to scale, they can't, you know, multiply how many Jesse's and Chris's there are. So, you know, those things do get kind of like left out. So, but I would say you're a creative entrepreneur. You know, you're, you're building a platform, you're building a business, you're building, you know, a network of podcasts, like all of those things are, are creative entrepreneurship. And, and yeah, I think like, that's exactly the kind of thing that we're looking at, you know, I think emphasizing musical artists, I'm really passionate about music and the value that musicians and artists provide to our community. 
I've been really blessed and grateful to work on the Fire in Little Africa project uh, over the last couple of years. And so when it comes to creative engine, my mind goes to like, how do we make the next Fire in Little Africa? How do we how do we make sure that you know artists in our community are empowered with the tools and the resources they that they need to like actually you know make a living doing what they do, right? And and I think like we're in a really cool time for artists right now because you know when I when I think we're all about about the same age, but like when I was growing up, if you were creative it was still like really hard to see like what that path might look like for you to like actually make a living. So when it came time to go to college, I was one of the people that like kind of got pushed into like a business major because, well, you know, the 1% of the 1% of the 1% are going to actually be able to be in a band or be an actor or be, you know, whatever creative thing. Like we saw so, so few people could actually reach that point that like the pragmatic thing to do was to like go study something like reasonable and then like do your creativity on the side. Well, now we live in a world where everyone is creating content. Everyone has a video camera on their phone or in their pocket all the time. And suddenly there's like this entire creative industry that has formed. And you can look at like all these creative jobs that like were not even on our radar 25 years ago. Right. And so there's never been a better time to be an artist, but at the same time, that requires like an intentional energy and emphasis and intentionality put into making sure that Tulsa specifically is a hospitable place for artists. Because like, like a lot of other areas, you know, we've had the brain drain on our artists and creative community where, you know, people growing up in Tulsa, you know, it was a lot easier to see how going to Los Angeles or going to New York or going to Atlanta were like a, a path to like actually making a living. But I think that there's things that we can do right now in our city that make Tulsa a lot more realistic place for people to be creative, to earn a living, and really to attract more creatives to come here. So that's really Tulsa Creative Engine is it. we've got a lot of different kind of programs and initiatives because there's a lot of work to do in this space when it comes to creating really the conditions for creativity in Tulsa to flourish. So do you find that what you're doing is better suited for certain types of creative endeavors or do you do you feel like these resources support any type of creative endeavors? So yeah, I think maybe it would help if I got a little bit more specific about some of the things that we're doing because it's kind of it's a thing where like as you look at the landscape there's so much that needs to be done. And so I'm kind of looking at it as like, how can we be a catalyst in like all these different areas? So in general, I would say we're focused on developing music business infrastructure in Tulsa. Like when it comes to a lot of our programs, we're really focused on the musical artists. But we also say, you know, in order to support the musical artists, you have to support the ecosystem that surrounds them. So if, you, if you're a musician, you've got a photographer, you've got a stylist, you've got video team, you've got you know, a manager, a publicist, a booking agent, you know, all these different areas that are creatives and artists that are like in support of musical artists. So one of our major programs is we're building a accelerator program for artists. So Similar to like what Kitchen 66 does for food entrepreneurs, we're building that program for artists. So artists can 
go through, they can take classes, they can work with mentors, and they can actually learn business skills that will essentially level up everything that they're doing. Other initiatives that we're undertaking are really just designed to to be a catalyst for creative industry in general in Tulsa. So we just launched a monthly event series called Frequency. And the intention of that is to get to really have like a big umbrella of like how we define creative and just say like, hey, what what if we got all the most creative, innovative people in our community into a single space once a month just to create an opportunity for them to connect and collaborate and what new projects might come out of that. So we're partnering with arts organizations, tech organizations, and entrepreneurship organizations to kind of like create this melting pot within our city of artists, creatives, and tech, because we really feel like that intersection is where innovation really happens. And, you know, we've, we do have a situation in the community here where there's a lot of great work being done, but a lot of it is like siloed off, right? So the artists are over here being artists, the tech people are over here building tech platforms, the entrepreneurs are obviously like tunnel vision on the, you know, the businesses that they're building. And so one of the things that we're trying to do with Tulsa Creative Engine is to be an organization in Tulsa that helps all of these kind of other organizations work together with an emphasis on, you know, creativity. Because we know that there's a huge focus and emphasis, and rightly so, on tech and entrepreneurship in our community right now. Well, we feel like the artists and the creatives are really a part of that same ecosystem. You really can't have a tech hub or an entrepreneurship hub where there's not also a culture hub happening. Mm-hmm. And so we are just really sending the message and doing things that that solidify the idea that it's all one ecosystem and that you have to equally support and put energy into all of those things to create the kind of city that is just super attractive for people to either move to or for talented people that grew up here mm-hmm. to to feel like they ought to be staying here to do you know innovative projects yeah i think that's i think that's really interesting i mean look at a, a kind of a a similar path we've started to see with the film industry with what FMAC does and how you've started to see that focus on some of the infrastructure where now we do have a lot of people who, you know, can work cameras, can, you know, work on film sets and stuff like that. You know, I can see similar thing here where being in the music industry, people think about the artist, but there's so much more to it. Somebody's dream might be like we were talking about with Dr. Dre. Somebody's somebody's dream may be to be the next great producer. You know, we've right. we've had Dr. View on the podcast, you know, those so we know that there's producer talent, you know, in this city and having an infrastructure there where they can work with artists locally and they can learn how to do it, I think is an amazing opportunity. Absolutely. And it's it's not just other like musical artists that have a role to play. So like my story is I'm from Tulsa and I left for a while. I boomeranged back in 2016, but my background is public relations, uh, marketing and communications. And in a past life, I was a manager and publicist for athletes in the NFL. And when I moved back to Tulsa, I, I started a completely unrelated business, but I had been hearing and I'd always had the desire to kind of 
put my talents and skills to use within the hip hop scene in Tulsa. And so literally like in my first week here, I met Steph Simon and then I met Dial Tone and all the guys from World Culture Music. And and what I saw, like as I was kind of like reintegrating myself into the community back in 2016 was like, first of all, just like a mind blowing level of talent. Like I would go to these shows and just get like, perpetual chills like every you know the artists are amazing and i think like tulsa has always kind of been that from like the gap band and leon russell days to you know all the way through the present there's like we are an arts and culture city and what i was really struck by is that like i was coming into the community like fancying myself a business person that like i might have a skill set that is like that could be beneficial here but like I was one of the only people that I knew that were in the music community here that were not an artist. So it's like when you have a music community in Tulsa, just like overflowing with talent, but like 95% of the people in that community are artists themselves. You're missing a lot of the pieces to the puzzle to where like, you know, I, I wish that there were 20 other people in our city that were like managing artists or booking artists or being publicists for artists or, you know, any kind of like business support service that is geared towards artists. And so not only do we want to cultivate like producer talent and videographer talent, but like we want to create the industry around, you know, we want record labels to find Tulsa attractive. We want booking agencies to find Tulsa attractive because Artists need a team, you know, like my goal with Creative Engine and a lot of the work that I'm doing is I want artists to be able to be artists and just like focus on that. Like they've got a a natural talent uh, and a gift to offer the community. It's it's up to the community to figure out a way to leverage that talent and that natural gift to the betterment of all of us. And so that's really the way that I look at it is like, we need to diversify. I think, I think like what's happening and what FMAC has done on the film side is, is a great example of that. And I think that there's, we're starting to see like, you know, interest in, in the music scene. And certainly there's organizations that are, you know, advocating for the arts. I think that the, the gap that we intend to fill here is that we really are as Tulsa creative engine, an artist first nonprofit. So we are advocating for and representing the needs and desires. We've done tons of focus groups with the music community, not to mention just my extensive work through Fire in Little Africa and other projects. We've done a lot of conversations with the community to really make sure that Tulsa Creative Engine is representative of what artists are saying they need and, you know, advocating for that kind of with with the funding and the uh, the leadership of the city in general and saying, hey, like this is economic development, this is entrepreneurship, and this is a really important part of the city that we all, you know, are trying to create together. CD, you and I are in a lot of circles with organizations that are, you know, trying to bring people to Tulsa, whether boomerangs or new people, whether it's Tulsa Remote or Tento Capital or GKFF. All these organizations trying to bring people to Tulsa, and they, you know, they compare Tulsa to to Austin or Memphis or whatever city they want to. And the thing that is always left out of those conversations is 
what made those cities cool in the first place. And it wasn't like cheap to live there and there's not a lot of traffic or whatever. It was the creative art, artistic space that made those places interesting. Like, you know, Austin's motto of like, keep Austin weird, right? It was the weirdness that attracted people. Absolutely. And like, you can't have, you can't have that without the, a well supported artistic community. 100%. And I mean, you could go back even further to San Francisco Bay area, right? Like culture hub, like what was going on in the sixties and seventies in San Francisco is like absolutely related to the fact that it became essentially the nation's first tech hub, right? Same thing with Austin, right? I mean, it actually was ironically for the artists that really made Austin, Austin, it was cheap living that kind of drew them there. Like, you, you know, Willie Nelson and his friends and, and kind of all the people associated with that movement, like they were able to move to Austin, live for like 200 bucks a month and creative people are moving there and they could make a living doing it. And, and the sad thing is, I read an article a few weeks ago that, you know, those same artists and creatives that built the culture in Austin that made Austin even possibly possible to be a culture. Those people are now being priced out of, you know, living there. And so one, one thing that I'm super like mindful of and really our whole team thinks about a lot is like, obviously we want to grow the music business infrastructure in Tulsa. We do want people to move here to be artists and to do creative work and to make our city more innovative but we're also developing longer term program ideas for like how do we make sure that we're advocating even from just like a housing perspective that like as our city grows that like artists and musicians are able to still afford to live here because it's an important part uh it's always been an important part of our city and uh the creative economy is just expanding faster and faster nationwide and i know that Tulsa wants to be a leader in creativity. So that's going to have to mean looking at things like housing to ensure that artists are not left out in the dust as like the city goes through, you know, the boom that we're kind of starting to experience now. And I've always been, uh, you know, fascinated by some of the sort of unsung history, especially in the music space for Tulsa. And so I'm excited about some of the things that are developing, like uh, Church Studio and the opportunities uh, for that and the, the history there. You know, the Tulsa Pop Culture Museum being across from Canes, which is, you know, still considered a, you know, world-renowned venue. And uh, I'm curious how you can, you know, lean on those resources to help with some of the work that you're doing. Yeah, I mean, it. so I definitely agree and, and I love, I got to meet the OK Pop team a couple of weeks ago and got to do a walkthrough of that facility. And, and I was there with my co-founder, Bianca Campwed, and we were both just like completely blown away at what OK Pop is doing. We've also met previously with Teresa Knox and just so excited about everything happening at the church studio. But I think that the key word here is like ecosystem, right? So it's like, we need all of these things. Like we have arts organizations, we have amazing museums that are developing. Church Studio is going to be an incredible state-of-the-art recording studio. So it's like, yes to all of that. And we need to make sure that we're providing, you know, direct support and resources to the artists that are kind of here on the ground building culture every day. Because that's, I, I think one way to think about it is like, 
you know, OK Pop is celebrating pop culture from the state. Tulsa Creative Engine is making sure that we continue to have more pop culture to celebrate, right? It's we've got to build the whole ecosystem to really make it work. We all know that that we are a city that loves to look at its past and, you know, think about like the oil boom. And, you know, I love like the Art Deco downtown and I love Leon Russell and the Gap Band and, you know, Route 66, like all of these things, you know, from the past. But, you know, I'm way more excited about the future of our city and and how can we kind of reimagine the cultural identity of what Tulsa is and how can we draw inspiration from some of these kind of like iconic things in Tulsa's past, but use those to to actually pave a, a new and, and exciting future. Yeah, that's a great point because, I mean, thinking of Church Studio, I mean, Eric Clapton didn't come here to record because he thought it would be cool to do. He was drawn here because of the music and culture that was here at the time. So even the idea, like you've talked about, of potentially bringing, you know, artists or labels and stuff here, they're going to come because of the artists and culture here. They're not going to come to try to create something from scratch. Right, exactly. And that's why we're really focused on investing in the artists that are actually already here and the, the artists that are already creating, you know, economic development and building culture here and making this, you know, the city that we all want to live in. And and that by essentially adding fuel to that fire, you create an environment that is super attractive to other creative people and, you know, creative industry. So, I mean, that that's it exactly. So are we going to get you in trouble if we ask you to, to, to share who some of your favorite artists are in Tulsa? I I don't think so. I'm I'm happy to I'm happy to share. I mean, I'm definitely biased. Like I, you know, I'm one of the executive producers for Fire in Little Africa. So, you know, I I've worked closely and I'm very close with Steph Simon, Dial Tone, Dr. View. I mean, I would just say when it comes to hip hop, definitely just listen to Fire in Little Africa and and really don't just listen to Fire in Little Africa you know, click on their name on, on Spotify and Apple music and, you know, see all of the music that they put out previously that, you know, essentially got them the opportunity to be on fire in little Africa. So there's, there's that on the hip hop side, I think on the, on the other genres side of things, I'm a huge Combsy fan. I think that those guys are just brilliantly talented and just another, I mean, Chris Combs is an incredible legacy artist, like all the way back to Jacob Fred Jazz Odyssey, uh, which was, <laughs> yeah. you know, a really great Tulsa band from. We from actually way back went to then. middle school with some of them. So we did. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, um, I'm, I'm close with, uh, there's this band called the Manta Rays. They're a bunch of, of young guys. They're about 21 years old, 22 years old. Nice. More of like a psychedelic folk rock kind of a vibe, but. Their bass player, Britton, worked with me at a business that I started a few years ago, and I got to know him and got to know that band. So, And then, you know, we're excited for Fire in Little Africa to go down to South by Southwest here next month. And, of course, John Moreland, legendary, you know, country folk singer, will be on the set with, with people like Steph, as well as Casey Stefan, Cliff Diver, an amazing pop punk band. I mean... The music scene in Tulsa is is incredible, but again, we we are we've never had a shortage of talent, but mm-hmm. but the talent that we do have needs support built around it and infrastructure to 
to really level up and make sure that yeah. that they can live up to their full potential. I'm trying to look up the guy's name. The guy who's going to Southwest, Southwest from Cliff Diver was on our Wheel of Time podcast that we did. Oh, Joey Duffy? <laughs> yes, very cool guy. It was a fun, it was a fun conversation. And I was like, mm-hmm. I know you're from somewhere. And he was like, I'm in this band. I'm like, yes, that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you also didn't mention one of Jesse's other favorites, the incredibly talented Branjay, who Jesse danced with in an inflatable oh, dinosaur costume That's true, once. I did, I did. <laughs> I just went, I should have mentioned them first because I just went to a Count Tutu show at the Colony this past uh-huh. Saturday night, which Count Tutu is definitely on the short list of like best bands in Tulsa. And that's got uh, not only Branjay, but also Nathan Wright, who's mm-hmm. in a lot of different projects, just a really brilliant musician. And then they've got like, you know, they're kind of like a JFJO, like they've got like mm-hmm. 10 people on the stage yeah. doing all different sorts of things. But you know, I love yeah. in the colony is just always, mm-hmm. you know, and in, I mean, that's a legendary space as well. So uh, I was but, just, but that is kind of ago. the point, right? That, that you can name as many artists as you did and then still forget, you know, some, some legendary performances. I mean, I yeah. know we've talked a lot about the talent and that, and you've talked about how, you know, we do need more to be able to help the talent, but there really is a lot of amazing. And it feels like, you know, almost any time I go out to see some kind of live music or I go to some venue and I don't know what's going to be there and I'll just stumble across a band and I'm suddenly like briefly become obsessed with. I think I told Jesse yeah. about I, I saw Nightingale perform live and they were they just blew me away. They're yeah. absolutely amazing band. And before that moment, I had not heard about them, you know, and yeah. and that's just kind of tells me that talent is important, but it's not enough, right? You can be amazing and people will think about you. You know, I, I listen to a bunch of music for them on Spotify, but then unfortunately it kind of went out of my mind after a while. Yeah. Because it, there is so much, you know, quote unquote content out yeah. there, right? We're, we're just being inundated not just at the local level, but nationally. I mean, with TV shows, movies, music, the life cycle of a new album. Like it used to be that you would, or for me, I'll speak for myself. Like I would get an album that I was really looking forward to, like in college. And that would be like in my car for the next couple of months. Like that was like the soundtrack to my life for the next at least month, but like two or three months, a lot of the time. And now there's just so, I think I heard is I'm, I don't even want to say the number, but there's like tens of, thousands and thousands maybe even millions of songs that are being released on spotify every single day so like it it's intimidating it's exciting for an artist like there's it's never been more accessible to just like Mm -hmm. make a song in your bedroom or in your garage and like upload it the next day and like now people all around the world can stream it so like on one hand like that's incredible accessibility whereas you used to have to get like signed to a record label and you know, go through like all kinds of gatekeepers to even get to the point where like anyone outside of your friend could could hear your song. But I think it's just it's a quickly evolving model where, number one, we just like with everything else, we have to be intentional about about supporting local. Right. If we want this to be a city that has artists that choose to stay here, then we have to be intentional about going to their shows, about buying their merch, about providing them again the resources that we provide other entrepreneurs because it it doesn't just happen by accident it takes you know a very intentional level of energy put into put into supporting them and you know that's 
that's really what a lot of my work is centered around is like listening and, and being super involved in artists communities and understanding the issues that are coming up again and again and again, and then creating this organization to actually move towards a world in which they, they have the resources that they need. I mean, yeah, a world used to exist and it's, this happened in our, in our adult lifetimes where artists like music, musical artists used to actually make the majority of their money from selling CDs or tapes or records even right now. It is really all touring money, which is very difficult to do in the age of COVID. And so I feel like artists are, there's a, there's an extra struggle going on where the thing that they used to depend on, they can't do anymore. And the the thing that they used to make money off doesn't exist because no one buys physical CDs anymore other than me, like on occasion. Um, I mean, unless you're into vinyl, which is now having a, a renaissance, right? There's making things more accessible is great, except that it removes a barrier, a monetary barrier that used to assist artists. So. Well, I would say that, I would say this too. I mean, when we think about art entrepreneurship, selling music and touring and and like t-shirts is like only a fraction of it you know i would give an example of what steph simon is doing with skyline mansion like he created a partnership with felix jones and now he's developing that into an event space so like he's able to he's still utilizing his like artistic you know likeness uh, in relation to the venue but He's generating more revenue for himself by creating that strategic partnership. Another example, uh, there's an artist here named Ray June. He's a Fire and Little Africa artist. He's doing, you know, releasing music and doing merch just like everybody else. But he's also a huge coffee fan. And so he made a partnership with, uh, he's actually just moved from Oklahoma City. So he made a partnership with a coffee company in Oklahoma City. And now he has his own coffee brand. So it's like, now, if I want to support Ray June, like, yes, I can like buy the music, go to the show, but like, hey, I drink coffee every day. Like I could just buy Ray June's coffee and like I'm supporting his artistry. So I think like those are the kinds of things that a lot of artists are doing and that we would that we're really helping artists think about, like, who are you? What are you interested in? And like, what are those possible like other kind of like businesses that you can that could spring out from your, you know, your role as a musician? Just making, just making artists work harder. We have to do they have more jobs. <laughs> you talked a little bit about money, and there's obviously been a lot coming out recently about how little Spotify pays artists for plays and stuff like that. So it can make it a little more difficult to earn money if that's the way people are, you know, consuming their music. So that I'm, I'm curious is that is that creating like a different dynamic on how an artist makes money? I think I think it is. And I think that we're honestly, we're in the midst of transformation within this space, right? Because we kind of got to a point where, like, okay, so we had, we had illegal streaming a couple decades ago with Napster, and mm -hmm. the record labels all kind of freaked out because they had this system set up where, you know, they controlled the radio stations. And so you know, you had to be on a major label to get played on the radio, which is that's how you sell albums. And so it was this kind of like super insular system that was like to the benefit of the labels and the radio stations. Right. And then we had this like huge disruption with, you know, illegally downloading music. And then there was this period where, you know, the labels really didn't know how to make money. And like now we're kind of at a situation where like because of Spotify, we're kind of like right back where we were in the 80s and 90s where like, 
the labels control the main, you know, when you go on Spotify or Apple music, like we all listen to like whatever the, the editor's choice playlist uh, is for like our genre of choice. And like those playlists essentially are what radio stations used to be. Right. And so we do have a situation now where like, yeah, the labels are doing great. The streamers are doing great. And in a sense, the artists are like getting their music out there. But again, if like that's the plat, if that's the model, it's definitely a model that leaves artists completely out of the equation. And I do think that we will probably see, I think we're, I think we'll look back at 2022 as like when we started to hear the rumblings of like a disruption in like what spot the, the Spotify and Apple music business model, because I don't think that there's already talks of like boycotting Spotify. And, you know, I, I think that five years from now, 10 years from now, however long down the road, we're going to see another disruption in mainstream music that is more artist friendly, whether that's, you know, something like a band camp where artists can sell their music. Um, obviously, like NFTs are a huge hot button right now that artists are starting to figure out how they can utilize. So I think that we're at the beginning stages of another disruption to the music industry. And it's going to be, I don't have a an official prediction of like what exactly it's going to be going to look like, but you can see the rumblings um, and the kind of seeds being planted for another big disruption. I mean, I, I feel like that, 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 that disruption has been long in coming. Like we all knew it was coming at some point mm-hmm. and, it ne- and it needs to, because like we as consumers are always going to take the easiest route to listen to something or watch something. So like, for example, like pi- the piracy of TV shows and movies went down as sort of the beginning of the streaming era when there was like Netflix and Hulu and that was it. And then as soon as all the other ones appeared, piracy went back up because then it became complicated to find the thing you wanted again. And so the group of people who knew how went back to pirating things. So mm-hmm. it eventually, eventually the market has to readjust to what people actually want to do. And eventually consumers are actually going to want to support the artists they listen to, mm-hmm. not the platform they listen to it on. So I say. But, <laughs> that's just me. As a, as a huge Napster supporter back in the day. So, because mm. yeah. like Chris yeah. and I both got, both Napster and like fast ethernet came to us at the exact same time, our freshman year in college. And so yeah. it was just Napstering songs like up and down, like the same floors. Like it was instantaneous yeah. and amazing. Oh yeah. So I, I got it. I got into a little bit of that as well in college. There was, you know, my buddy had a private torrent site and all of that stuff, but, <laughs> mm-hmm. but yeah, I think it's, it's honestly, it's exciting. It's also like all the more important that there's organizations that are, looking out for the interests of artists to advocate, you know, for what they need. And I would love to see Tulsa be a part of that solution for how do independent artists navigate, you know, even just like this kind of pandemic world and just everything's, everything's Mm -hmm. being upended right now. And it, and I think that the pandemic really highlighted the importance of artists and musicians and really just like the inherent value that they provide and I think that the pandemic and one one byproduct was it made us realize how much we need artists performing and, and doing shows, and how much we need shows. Mm-hmm. Right. And how we just like local food or local, you know, any small business like we need to be investing and in being intentional about supporting um, local musicians and artists. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, go ahead, Chris. Well, I was going to say that. That leads to, uh, I think, a natural segue. You know, it, 
as we're getting to the to the back end of the podcast, which is so how can people, our listeners, they listen to this, they want to help out you, they want to help out artists. What can they do to help out? I would say that, you know, it's been really cool since we launched Tulsa Creative Engine. We've really launched, we're still, you know, in a heavy fundraising phase to really fully launch all of our programs. And so one of the things that we've turned to is doing events because that feels like a way that we can just begin doing the work that we see need, needing to be done in the community. So we launched last fall an event called the Spark Summit. And the Spark Summit is really, we believe it will be Tulsa's, you know, version of South by Southwest. So it was music, tech and entrepreneurship, panel conversations, mixers, workshops over things like, you know, art entrepreneurship, how artists are using virtual reality. We had Holberton curate that panel. We had, you know, a workshop about getting started with NFTs and really just trying to start this conversation around how culture and music and art are kind of like the bedrock of economic development. And since Spark Summit, it really has been a spark for us because so many people have reached out. There's a lot of people that have like moved here with Tulsa Remote. There was a guy that, you know, reached out to us. He's a social media, he does social media for artists and he just moved from Nashville and, you know, he wants to get involved. There is an entertainment lawyer that, you know, has been here for a long time and was so excited to see what we're doing. He reached out and offered to get involved. So I would say, you know, if you are a music business professional, if the things that I'm saying on this podcast resonate with you, you know, definitely uh, you can shoot us an email. It's hello at TulsaCreativeEngine.org. And or you can just go on onto our website and fill out the contact form. Just let us know who you are and, you know, what what you're, you know, what's resonating with you. And, you know, I, I would love to meet with people like that. Obviously, anyone that, you know, is looking for an organization to give to. We'd love to, you know, we are a 501c3. We'd love to talk about financial support for our work and just the all the all the different things that that we need resources to be able to make happen, you know, in our community. But lastly, if you're an artist, you know, we would just encourage you to start coming to our events. We've got uh so actually I'm really excited to announce that Spark Summit. So last year it was really just the conference in the fall. This year, we're in partnership with World Culture Music Festival, which is Steph Simon's, you know, incredible hip hop festival that's now seven years in. Um, he's actually expanding to, to where this year it'll just be a music festival with an emphasis on hip hop, but not exclusively a hip hop festival. But Spark Summit is going to take place at World Culture Music Festival, and it's going to oh, be cool. 918 day weekend. So the 16th, oh, nice. 17th, and 18th of September. So super exciting. We're going to have panel conversations and keynotes and mixers throughout the day and then live performances and parties and things of that nature at night. So really excited for that. But then, you know, every month leading up to Spark Summit at World Culture Fest, we're going to have, you know, our frequency event. That's the kind of gathering of uh, all the innovative people, everyone pushing the city forward. We're in partnership with Holberton and Clean Hands and 36 Degrees North, as well as, you know, arts organizations like the Art House Group. So 
That'll be the last Friday of every month at the Clean Hands space, uh, which is just on the outskirts of downtown. If you look at our Instagram, you'll see the flyer with the address and everything. So I would encourage anybody that is creative, that includes YouTube, feel free to join us at Frequency. We really just want to kind of break down the silos and the barriers where everyone's kind of like hold off doing their own thing and at least have one one event per month that, you know, really the community at large can kind of gather and just connect and find new people to collaborate with. And we're also going to be hosting artist workshops and roundtables throughout the year. So the entertainment lawyer that is uh, on our board, an, an amazing guy named Tommy McDonald, he's going to be leading a um, legal workshop for artists. So he's, you know, with all of his experience as an entertainment lawyer, he's kind of got like, here's the, here's these things that every artist needs to know. Um, so he's going to kind of run through that and then like have artists have the ability to ask questions. We're also partnering with Ascension St. John on some health centered programming. So they're going to be supporting some like mental health programming for the Spark Summit. Uh, we also are planning like a mental health roundtable for artists that will be announced later this summer. So when it comes to supporting artists, it's, it's, that holistic approach of like, they need the business skills, they need, you know, technological tools, they need creative development, and they need wellness, you know, tools as well. And so we really feel, uh, I'd be remiss, I know I mentioned Bianca earlier, but our other co-founder, Tyrants Billingsley, who you guys probably know from Black Tech Street and just all mm -hmm. the things that he's doing in the community. I'm so grateful to the two of them. I and mean, we've been working on Tulsa Creative Engine for the last two years meeting at least once a week, oftentimes a lot more than that, to build this out and put a plan together and really build a coalition of support. So it's an exciting time. You know, we really feel like we can do something that's going to not only impact the lives of the artists that are here in our community, but can actually be, we really feel like we're kind of pointing out the path forward as far as, you know, what could the Tulsa's industry be? It's like, it's right in front of us. It's, it's our artists and creatives that have always been here. So I'm just excited and grateful to be working with, with a great team of people to bring this to life. Thank you so much for joining us on Pod for Good. We, I'm mostly looking forward to that Spark Summit slash music festival. That's going to be amazing in the fall, hopefully when we are allowed to maybe be in groups larger than 10 people. Or whatever the rules are these days. So I, I already promised Jesse uh, a live podcast. I didn't know. So. I, I was. I didn't know if we should mention that now or not. But there might be a live pod. It's for on good the record now. Spark, I, I, yeah, there you go. Yes, yes, a live pod for good at the Spark Summit. It's but Jesse, be amazing. To, before that happens, you yes. have to admit that you're an artist. Otherwise, will, otherwise you can't I will do it. You have to admit, admit I'm an artist if that gets me a live show. So okay, yeah. I'm listen. I can admit that we all get a little weird about the things we do and how it's hard for us to judge them as highly as other people doing other things. So I can admit that other people can call me an artist. <laughs> so how benevolent of you. Yeah. Thank you. People are allowed, people are allowed to call me whatever they want. Jesse, can I, if, if I may, can I recommend a book to you? Yes. So there's this book called the artist's way it's by Julia Cameron and it's, I, I believe it's like a, a huge bestseller. A lot of artists and creative people read it, but I, I encourage you to read it because one of the things that she talks about in the book is just how everyone is born an artist, but you know, we kind of like live, we're born into a culture that tries to make you not an artist. And there's 
all kinds of people that have a sort of complex around that word and just the the kind of connotation or you know maybe it was for some people it's like a parent that that you know talked down about artists or other people just picked it up from you know being bullied at school or whatever whatever the case may be but i i really believe what she says which is that everybody is an artist and you do have to go on that kind of like process and that journey of rediscovering your artistry. So I will say this Spark Summit at World Culture Fest is going to be September 918 day weekend. So maybe by maybe by September, you will have read the artist's way <laughs> and you will be fully embracing your creative gifts yes, and, and there you go. owning owning the title of artist for Jesse. Jesse Ulrich, comma, artist. Listen, there it I, is. here's the thing. I want to be an artist. It's a, it's a, it's a very internal thing. I'm going to read this book. There you go. The Artist's Way, A Spiritual Path to Higher Creativity. I'm very excited to read this book. There you go. Yeah, no, no, like, my parents would love if I was an artist. Like, <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, it's, yeah, this is, it's all in here. I'm pointing to my mm-hmm. brain. CD, thank you so much. This was great. Yeah, thank you. And, it's great. you know, we look forward to, we look forward to more great art and creativity in the city of Tulsa. So, thank you. As do I. Appreciate you guys. Thanks so much. Thank you all for listening to our episode with Chris Davis. He's great. Check out all the different things. The Tulsa Creative Engine has a website. Spark Summit has their own website. Uh, Fire in Little Africa is amazing. If you haven't listened to it yet, do that too. As I mentioned in a previous episode, please check out podforgood.com. Sign up for our future newsletter and subscribe wherever you get podcasts. Uh, Tulsa, please continue to get it done. Try to drive like a normal person and uh, stay safe out there.